Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to our home. So glad that you are here. If you have your Bibles there, I would encourage you to find them. Uh, we're going to do a lot of Bible work here this morning, kind of have a little small group setting my home to your home. I think it's appropriate that this last weekend of the year come from our homes into your homes because that's where we spent so much of our time in 2020. In fact, I want to begin this message, this last message of the year, uh, with some words I shared with you on that first Friday morning with Rick after everything got shut down. So let's go. Let's just dive right in here. Uh, this season of COVID is not going to last forever. In fact, the day is coming uh, when we will no longer be keeping score of, of positive tests and, and viruses like, like some terrible, awful ball game of keeping score for that. Uh, the day is coming when that is going away. Uh, and that's not because the CDC says so, not, not because a politician says so, not because a vaccine says so, but because God says so. That day is coming. And because God says so, uh, we have hope. Um, the, day, the day is coming uh, when old friends will be able to walk up to each other and hug each other freely, when little children will run into the arms of their grandparents and their great-grandparents, when office mates on Monday morning will gather around the coffee pot or the water cooler or whatever to share stories of the weekend, all huddled up, all nice and close, giggling and chatting and laughing uh, with one another. Uh, the day is coming uh, where artists and athletes will thrill uh, stadiums filled with, with cheering crowds to overflowing. Uh, the day is coming when restaurants will be at full capacity and the patrons will linger, not just to enjoy delicious food and drink, but to move from table to table and engage in conversation with those they have kept at a distance for many, many years. Uh, the day is coming uh, when classrooms will be filled once again with students. And the students will complain about ACTs and SATs, and they're going to go to proms, and they will have parties, and there will be weddings, and the weddings will have no limit on how many can or will come, except for the cost, obviously. And it will be very reverent and prayerful, but also be very joyful with singing and with dancing and celebration. And the day is coming when jobs will, will be restored, and travel and conferences will be happening once again. And more importantly, the day is coming when churches like ours, like our very own, will have no limit on the capacity and how close one can sit to one another. And you'll be able to come into the crossing and there'll be no temperature checks, or there'll be no mask, or there'll be no physical distancing. Uh, you can mill about and have as close community as you want. You can actually experience communion. That is even with hot coffee and sacramental donuts. The day is coming. And that we don't know when, but the day is coming, and I suspect it's coming soon, when we can all gather together in the flesh, all on sight, all who want to and all who can, with no reservation of physical uh, limitations upon closest or proximity or virus or contagion or anything like that. And we'll all do that on site and those online who have jo joined us from near and far. And there will be a celebration of celebration with joy-filled singing and a message so pent up, I told you back then, it it may last almost two hours with everybody listening and nobody complaining, right? Yeah, <laughs> the day is coming. Uh, we don't know when, but when everything is wrong, will be made right. When everything that is not in place will be put in its place. We don't know when, but we know. And because we know, we know, we hope. And that hope comes from God. I want to speak to you this morning a little bit on this, this Christmas, this morning after Christmas, about the word called hope. Uh, this word called hope has been divided into three different parts. The first part of hope is imagination. 
uh, that you have to imagination, picture it, think about what you hope for in your mind. Uh, secondly, you have to want it. Uh, you have to hunger for it. You have to, to long, really want it deeply. You have to desire it. And thirdly, you have to believe it. Uh, I have to believe that what I hope for is possible. In fact, that it is coming. So the more vividly I imagine, uh, the more vividly I imagine uh, what, what, what I'm hoping for, uh, such as to be more courageous, uh, to have a better marriage, to have a better job, uh, to learn a language, to be a person of prayer, whatever that may be for the year 2021 and coming up, for whatever I hope for, the more I imagine it, the more I think it, uh, the more I reflect upon it, the more I read, meditate and write it down, and, and the more that I increase my wanting for it by thinking about the why, the why it is a worthwhile goal or a worthwhile thing to accomplish it, and the more I believe in it, the more crystal clear I see it in my mind and the desire wants, and I believe in the possibilities of it. See, the, the more I'm going to hope. So when I imagine more vividly, and when I want more deeply, and when I believe more clearly, I will hope more strongly. You got it? Now, now hope is, a, is not an easy thing. Over here in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in verse chapter 8, verse 24. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, by definition, hope has some measure of uncertainty. Uh, if you have it, you don't have to hope for it. Uh, hope is something that I, I, that I have to look for, that, that's outside of myself. So here's the way life works. I'm at point A, and I want to go to point B. Now, at point B, this represents all my future hopes, my goals, and my dreams that I have for my life. And they may be major ones, like wanting to change the world, whatever that may be. Like having a better marriage or having a better job, whatever. Or maybe it's little ones. Like, hey, I just want to control the remote control of the television <coughs> television tonight. So yeah, major ones and little ones to get to point B. But then along the way, you have these distractions. Uh, you have these little challenges. You have little bitty ones that are like distractions and interruptions, like having to wear a mask, having to practice physical distancing, maybe having to do this on, on a Zoom meeting call. But then you have major ones like being tested positive for COVID or maybe having your job in jeopardy or maybe even the cause of death itself in someone that you love so dearly. So world-class hopers, though, are people who some have an ability to cling to their faith, to, to hold on to what they know is true. They have a way to, they just have find a way to keep pushing forward into the future because they know their goals are worth working for, worth fighting for, worth striving for. Uh, world, world hope givers, people who just kind of thrive on hope. Uh, <clears throat> these are the people who have the ability to wake up in the morning with an expectation and with an eagerness, knowing uh, that something good is going to take place. Uh, they are people who actually breathe hope into other people. That's what world-class hopers do. They breathe hope into others. See, hope will improve your schoolwork, students. Hope will improve your work life. Uh, hope will improve your relationships. And most of all, hope will improve your soul. Now, back in March, when COVID was just hitting us hard, uh, it had already been hard in Italy. And there's this one little pastor, this priest, uh, Father Don uh, Giuseppe Giraldi, 
who was 72 years of age in this little community, greatly loved, had a little red moped bike that he drove around with a big old smile on his face, ministering to his people. Uh, He loved them dearly, and they loved him. Uh, He was a mentor to many. Uh, He was a father to many young men who lost their own son, their own dads, way too early to death. And when COVID hit that little town, it struck with a vengeance, uh, so much so that many of them were very, very gravely ill, including Father Don. And they did not have the medical equipment to get him a ventilator. And so the community, his parish, they pitched all in their own money, and they got him a ventilator so he could live because they needed him so much. But he didn't use the ventilator. He gave the ventilator up to a father who had many children so the father could live to care for his own kids. And very soon after that, Father Don died. Now, you may be watching this this morning, and you're someone who doesn't believe in God. Uh, You are welcome here. You may have a hard time believing in God, but maybe you could believe in this act of love because this act of love is more than an act of optimism, is an act of hope. You see, optimism is a good thing, uh, but, but hope is so much more. Uh, optimism is a, sometimes a part of a person's personality. Uh, some people just have this natural bit toward optimism, and it's so much d- deeply connected to circumstances. But hope is more than optimism, and it's deeply rooted. It is a Christian virtue. Uh, Back in the time of the Cold War and Czechoslovakia and many other Eastern Bloc countries were just shut down under communism, Uh, there was this little political prisoner who was always a poet of hope for for the Czech people. And uh, he was just locked in his prison forever until all of a sudden the curtain falls down and he is free. And they elect him as the president, the first president. And when they're having all these press conferences and checking him out and uh, asking him, how did you do it while you were in prison? How did you hang on? How did you press on when things were so dark? And this is what he wrote. I read from my journal. He says, hope. (coughs) Hope is not the same as joy that things are going well. Hope is not a willingness to invest in any enterprises that are headed towards success. Hope is an ability to work for something because it's good, not just because it stands a good chance to succeed. In fact, the more uncertain the situation in which we demonstrate, in which we demonstrate hope, the deeper the hope is. Hope is not the same as optimism. Hope is not the conviction something will turn out well. Hope is the certainty that something makes sense regardless how it turns out. The deepest and most important form of hope, the only form of hope that keeps our heads above water and urges us on toward good works in times of suffering, the only true source of breathtaking hope that energizes the human suffering in times of great need is something we get from elsewhere. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment about this, about this elsewhere. Uh, where, where, where is this elsewhere? Now, optimism is a good thing. Uh, but, but the scripture doesn't say, uh, put your optimism in God. It says, the scripture psalmist said, put your hope in God. But the thing is, the ancient writers, they as a whole, they are people who did not, <coughs> excuse me, did not believe much in hope. In fact, to really understand what Paul writes in Romans 5 and Romans 8 about this great big uh, possibility of hope out there in the world, you've got to understand the context under which Paul is writing uh, these chapters. 
In fact, the ancient people, they really dislike the word hope. Uh, hope was an unpopular word. It was a dislike word. It was uh, just something that they thought was miserable if you hoped. Now, the most common theme back in the ancient writers, what they wrote about is how you deal with suffering, just like you and me. How do we deal with the suffering of this world in which we experience? And they would say that you don't have hope. You cope with suffering by depending upon yourself. You don't depend upon the world. You don't depend upon the gods. You depend upon you. And ultimately, you depend upon your capacity to reason, to sort things out. If you hope, it's just going to disappoint you, right? It's kind of like a child. You grow up in the world, and you have all these hopes and dreams for your life, right? Uh, like myself. I grew up, my dreamed, okay, I want to be a professional baseball player. I hope I'll be a professional baseball player. And then all of a sudden, reality sets in, and I lowered my standards, and I became a pastor. And then later on, you grow up, and you have other hopes, like you want to be the smartest class in the whole, the smartest kid in the whole school. And then reality sets in, and it did for me, and I lowered my standards, and I became a pastor. And then a young man like myself, and I did. You have this dream of dating and marrying the most attractive, wonderful woman in the world. And then reality sets in. And I lowered my standards. Dallas lowered her standards. Thank goodness Dallas <laughs> lowered her standards. And she married me. And so they just taught you that you don't get your hopes up because it will disappoint you. In fact, they would have you in, in the moral education, you would write up a hardship list of all the things in your life where you're experiencing hardship because you had hope and it didn't become a reality. In other words, they train yourself not to hope because hope will always disappoint you. You can't depend upon the world. You can't depend upon the gods. You can't even depend upon your friends. Now, it was okay to have friends, and they would even agree in that day that friends could minimize your suffering. If you had good friends, that could minimize your suffering. But they say you, you cannot depend too much upon your friends. Now, sometimes back in that day, uh, the friends were so important. Cicero himself said, Aristotle, I believe it was, who said that friendship is one soul with two bodies. What an idea. And it's, it's, it's even ideal back in the day of Paul and, and when he wrote Romans. is for someone to sacrifice, uh, to, to suffer for a friend, even to die for a friend. Uh, but there were limitations to that. Uh, you couldn't just do it for anyone. Here's the first limitation, is that friend you die for, they had to be someone that was worthy of your death. They had to be someone that was at least equal to your standing on the pecking order. They couldn't be way down here. And secondly, the, the suffering of your friend could not impede itself upon your own tranquility. That the suffering of your friend rubbed off on you, you had to distance yourself from them immediately. So they taught you that if you're going to be a conqueror, if you're going to conquer in this world, you had to be able to conquer your, your own emotions, your own tranquility, to not let the world get to you. That's what it was to be a conqueror. And all this is going to be connected to what Paul says over here in Romans chapter 8. Now that word conquer in the Greek is Nikea, which is where you and I get the word Nike. And the ancient Roman philosophers, they taught about conquering. They said lesser men talked about conquering other armies or other, other countries, uh, of conquering other kings, of athletic rivals, of a certain market sector or a competitor for a CEO. But men of great wisdom, they sought to conquer those, those, those foes of the intersoul, of the spirit. That is the fear of death. That is worry. That is greed. 
that is anxiety, all those things that we battle on the inside, those things that actually conquer the conqueror themselves. Yes, I hear the phone ringing. We have an interruption. Just let it roll. It will stop here in just a second. So that was their understanding of conquering. And then if I conquered what was on the inside, then I was okay as long as the outside world did not get to me on the inside. Now, this is why the ancient world, they had no reason for hope. Uh, if you were a hopeful person, you were, they thought you were a miserable person. In fact, they thought it was like a moral disease to be someone who hoped because that means you had a poor judgment of the world and the circumstances that were all around you. And so it's in that context with all this wealth and with all this logic and all this reason and all this power control that this penniless uh, little tent maker of, uh, of a follower of Jesus who's in a prison named Paul uh, writes these words. And I begin over here in Romans chapter 5, and it goes like this. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Here we go, the issue of suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character. And the Roman listener would go, yes, 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 that is true, that is true, that is exactly right. But Paul would continue on, and they would go, no, no, no. And perseverance character, and character produces hope. And they would say, no, no, hope is terrible. Hope will always disappoint you. But Paul goes on, and hope does not disappoint. Hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, in the ancient world, they did not have hope for humanity because they had no hope for the world. They didn't see the world was going to a point B. They saw the world as just this endless ups and downs going nowhere. But the Apostle Paul, knowing the teachings of the Hebrew Scriptures and the teachings of Jesus himself, he could quote Genesis chapter 1 and says, no, no, the world gets off to a good start. It's got a plan. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it's going somewhere. It's going to Shalom. It's going toward the kingdom of God where everything is made right, where everything is the way it's supposed to be. And the apostle Paul says the way, the reason that things aren't the way they're supposed to be is because of sin. It's because of shame and guilt and hatred and enmity between one another. But then he goes on. Here's why we have hope. You see, at just the right time, verse 6, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is why we hope. Our hope is not in our own virtue. Our hope is not in our own reason. Our hope, we are not disappointed in it because of this incredible thing called grace that Jesus himself he leaves heaven. He comes to be born in a manger. And eventually he would give his life and he would suffer and he would go to the cross and he would be resurrected that you and I might have hope. And you will notice that in the ancient world, they would say, no, you, you cannot die for someone who is unworthy. You got to die for someone who is worthy, someone who is virtuous, someone who is good. But Jesus died for the likes of people like you and me. And that's why hope does not disappoint us. And so the answer to the whole issue of human suffering, how we cope with it, is not 
is not because of uh, uh, our virtues or our reason or because things are going to turn out perfectly and everything's going to be the way you want it to. The reason we can endure it and overcome it is simply because of love. It's on the cross, the manger to the cross. It's the love of God that groans and agonizes for you and me. It does. In fact, over there uh, in the ancient people, they said, if you were a a holy, righteous person, you wouldn't groan. Uh, In fact, that was a sign that you're you're hoping for the people and their suffering has has come onto you. Uh, Groaning was for losers. It was for wimps. It was for weak people. It was a sign you you were just destitute, you know, just discounted out here in the world. But the Apostle Paul says, no, we groan inwardly. That's what he says in the scripture over here in Romans chapter 8. Look what it says right here. Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the eyes of, of childbirth, right? The whole the creation's gro- we groan, okay? We, we groan. The creation groans. It's kind of like in the Disney movie Bambi. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, Bambi's mother dies, just in case you didn't see. When Bambi mothers die, what happens? The world begins to weep. It begins to cry. It says the whole creation is groaning in the times of childbirth. But verse 23, not only so, not only so, but we ourselves, we who had the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Adoption. Why do we need to be adopted? Because we are the rejects. We are the failures. We are the losers. We are the people that are not worthy of anyone dying for. And yet he does. And then he goes on. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we do not know what to pray for, the Spirit himself intercedes for us and groans. The Spirit of God groans for you and me. you got to be kidding me. we got a groaning God. We got a God who engages into our weakness, into our suffering, into our pain, into whatever you are experiencing right now. While the ancient writers say, you got to distance yourself from those people. You got to make a gap. God closes the gap. And then the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, he, he makes these list of two hardship lists. But he doesn't use these hardship lists to describe how great our virtues are that helps us be conquerors. Uh, just listen to what he says. Down here in verse 20, 35, hardship list. The Roman people would recognize it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 38, for I am convinced, here comes another list, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, not the present, not the future, not any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We glory and we hang on in our suffering in our darkest days to Jesus. We hang on to Jesus because of Jesus. This life we're in is moving towards something more than just a a sufferingless life. This life is full of hardships. You know your list. Your list is only going to get longer. When you reach the end of your rope, and you have an end of your rope, and you will reach it, okay, you'll reach the end of your rope. That that is not what life is about, never reaching the end of your rope, never having a list of hardships. 
When you reach the end of your rope, even then you and I are invited into an adventure and following Jesus Christ where even as we move through our sufferings, we can be more than conquerors. We can conquer. Now you got to remember the ancient writers, they said to conquer means that you had to distance yourself from the world where it couldn't touch you on the inside. Then the Apostle Paul says here in verse 37, No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors. That's a very intentional thing he's saying. We are more than conquerors. And how are we more than conquerors? Not because we're smart, not because we're strong, not because we're controlling the situation and getting everything to turn out exactly the way we wanted to. Why are we more than conquerors? We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. In church, it was just that idea right there, that idea right there that was such a compelling view of the history of the world that it captured the human heart that allowed people to endure suffering and hang on to the hope that they were loved by God through the person of Jesus Christ. It is amazing. Church, the day is coming. Uh, we, we don't know when the day is coming, when all the virus, when all of our sin, when all of our guilt, when all of our shame, when all that separates us from one another, even death itself, it will be conquered. And because of that, we can keep hope alive. So today I leave you with this. Keep hope alive. Hang on to that hope of Jesus and the love he has for you. Keep hope alive in your pain, in your suffering, in your groaning. Keep hope alive in your marriage, in your singleness, in your family. Uh, keep hope alive in your job and in your joblessness. Keep hope alive in your, in your home and in your homelessness. Uh, keep hope alive in, in, your, in your clarity and in your confusion, uh, in your groaning and in your grieving. Keep hope alive. Keep on hoping. Keep on praying. And when you can't pray, groan. And if you can't groan by yourself, just let us know right there on the chat right now and somebody will groan with you. Church, I want you to wake up every day. Wake up in hope. I want you to go to work in hope. I want you to play in hope. I want you to pray in hope. I want you to live in hope. I want you to speak hope. And when you go to bed at night, I want you to go to bed and I want you to sleep in hope and wake up being hopeful again. Imagine more vividly this hope of God's love for you. Uh, just reflect upon it and want it more deeply. I mean, want it like you never wanted anything before. And then believe it so clearly. Believe it. Believe it. And then I'm going to pray that the God of hope will fill you with joy and peace. That you will become hope overflowers. That everybody who comes around you will become hopeful because the hope of Jesus that lives in you. Church, I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. One last time, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year because we have hope in Jesus.